0: Go to ADT.com today or call 1-800-ADT-ASAP.
1: I always did negotiate with the president of our college when things really got to the point of needing to sit down with the president. They always got me.
0: You're still sitting down with presidents. (laughs) You handed me that one. (laughs) Yeah, I sure enough did. At this point, everyone knows that Jim Clyburn and voters in South Carolina helped Joe Biden reach the White House. And if you don't, Biden himself will tell you.
1: It's because of this congregation and the Black community of South Carolina, and not an exaggeration, and Jim Clyburn, that I stand here today as your president because of all of you
0: And a fact. The word kingmaker isn't a title thrown around much anymore, but if there's anyone who's earned it, it's Clyburn. The head of the DNC, backed by Clyburn. The head of the January 6th committee, backed by Clyburn. And the fact that black women now sit in the vice president's chair and on the Supreme Court, born from pledges he helped extract from Biden. Clyburn doesn't win every battle, but at 83 years old, he's won enough to be one of the most powerful people in politics. So on this episode of The Assignment, we're going to hear from Congressman Clyburn about what he's learned about power and compromise. Well, I want to thank you for talking with me, coming Mm -hmm. on The Assignment. We're obviously ahead of the South Carolina primaries. Can you remember, as a kid, wherever the first time you encountered power, understood that someone was wielding it?
1: My dad had a... uh... Uh, a rule in our house that um, every morning before breakfast we had to recite a Bible verse. Uh, and he was a pastor. He was a so. pastor. And every evening before retiring to bed uh, we had to share with him and my mother a current event. We didn't have television so we had to read the newspaper that live in our house every day. And that was it. After you finish your homework, then you sit with him and share something you learned. Your understanding of the day. Yeah. So I was doing that when Truman ran for president against Dewey. And I just got in, 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 intrigued with this stuff. Uh, Dewey, wealthy wealth of skion from New York, uh, was definitely going to be president of the United States. Truman was a little Failed haberdasher from from Missouri. Truman wins this race. And that just, I don't know what that did to me. But I started uh, way back then as a eight-year-old, started following politics.
0: So you saw that famous photo of him holding up the newspaper. Absolutely, I remember it very and well. And you, you had a visceral reaction to that. Absolutely. But I hear in your voice something about the fact that he upended expectations. Yeah,
1: that's exactly right. He's an underdog, had not gone to college, didn't have a middle name. I started telling everything about this guy. Uh, the S in his name is something he just put there. He thought important people had middle names, and so he just adopted the S. And so when you look at the guy like this, and um, uh, and you know, it, it, I still read it. I, I keep his um, McCullough's that thick. The biography, on, yeah. Yeah. I keep that literally at my bedside, uh, and I often consult that book, uh, as I do often consult the Bible. Those two uh, books—I I, can say his book, my my political Bible—I'm just all wrapped up in Truman.
0: One of the things I found interesting is that one of your first jobs, this was after you were a student activist, Mm -hmm. is you do get involved in government, right? And so by the time you're 30, you're already having a cabinet position Mm -hmm. in the government Mm -hmm. following the the win of John West, right, Mm -hmm. Uh, a moderate white Democrat in the South. What did you learn about navigating power in that space? Because you're young, you're black, and it's moderate white – South. And it was a human rights commission, right? So it's sure. literally mediating disputes over desegregation. Can you remember a moment where you felt like, oh, this is going to be harder than I thought?
1: There are many of those moments. John West decides that he was going to create this agency. And it's interesting, you call it the Human Rights Agency. John West did not call it that. In fact, I wanted to call it that. And that's when I got my first real lesson that still serves me well in politics, in Southern politics. It is called the South Carolina Human Affairs Commission. I wanted to call it the South Carolina Human Rights Commission. And he sat me down and he says, let me tell you something. This will never get through the legislature if we call it that. If we call it human affairs, that is a soft enough term that will not, uh, tick off these legislators that we're going to have to get through and we can get this bill passed. That was the f- first time I got a lesson, a lesson I still try to teach people today. And there are people, is like, this whole question of reparations, people said, you know, it's got to be reparations. I said, okay, we got 10, 20, 30 here and other programs, affirmative action. And people, uh, you got to be a little bit touch in the head not to see affirmative action as a reparations program. Uh, or ten, twenty, thirty, and I've had people that tell me.
0: But so to back up, because people won't know all of the bills you're referencing. What I hear you saying is that in that lesson, someone sat you down and said, "One step at a time."
1: Well, someone told me, "In your face stuff will not work well, especially in the South." And to put human rights as a title of that bill
0: was in your face. Which is crazy to think about now, like yes. human rights. <laughs> Just, human it right. wasn't the Black Civil Rights Commission of blah, blah, blah. That's right. So it occurs to me that you know when people talk now, when there's a more militant strain of politics among younger voters, younger politicians, they want to come at things high and hard.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You're not going to be doing that.
1: No. There's a time and a place where everything under the sun, growing up in that past era, so uh, it took the to hard, the lesson, that's found in the first uh, few verses of the third chapter of Ecclesiastes. There's a time and a place for everything under the sun. And there's a time and a place to be in your face. I don't object to that at the proper time, in the right place. If you're trying to get legislation passed, you better figure out how to get the 218 if you're in the House of Representatives. And maybe 60 if you're in the Senate and how do you do that? You get to decide whether or not you want to be Make a headline tomorrow morning Or headway tomorrow evening If you want to make headway Sometimes you got to pass up the headline uh, And if you want to make a headline You got to be prepared not to make headway. So That's what I'm always trying to balance. I I used to say, as a student in college, life is a series of adjustments. That was a, almost a slogan on our campus.
0: Yeah, uh, which people may not realize because obviously during the time you were coming up, let's say late 60s, you were involved in a student protest, mm-hmm. mass student protest. In fact, met your wife at a mass student protest after mm-hmm. you'd been incarcerated, right? Sure. So yeah. we're used to thinking about that period as fundamentally confrontational. And you're shaking your head already as no, I'm saying it. no.
1: Everybody has a role to play. In fact, I marched; the, the lot was arrested. But every time it came time to negotiate with the authorities, they always came to me.
0: Really? Yeah. Even as a young person.
1: As a young person.
0: What did you know that they didn't? I don't know.
1: It's just my dad must have taught me. I don't know what they saw in me, but um, I always did negotiate with the president of our college when. Things really got to the point of needing to sit down with the president. They always got me It's just always there.
0: You're still sitting down with presidents. (laughs) You handed me that one. (laughs) Yeah, I sure enough (laughs) did. You're still sitting down with presidents. But, you know, it's interesting because when I think about you working for someone like John West, when I think about this way you had of coming up, your embrace of Joe Biden makes a lot more sense, Mm -hmm. right? When we think about that period with Bernie Sanders and Mm -hmm. Pete Buttigieg and you kind of came through and said, look, this is how we as Democrats can make headway. Right. Once you put your arm around someone though, you kind of like, you own it a little bit. Sure, and I'm pleased to own it. You are? Absolutely. So let's talk about all the people who are less pleased (laughs) for a minute. Because his very first rally, South Carolina, He's trying to talk about his record, Mm -hmm. and people interrupt that speech to talk about the war in Gaza and to talk about his support for Israel that they Mm -hmm. believe is causing a genocide, and there's a nickname, Genocide Joe. Mm -hmm. As someone who has once been involved in confrontational politics, how do you see those moments?
1: Well, they're to be expected, and I think he expected them, and uh, I was very proud of the way uh, he dealt with that. Well, um, there's
0: expected and then there's prepared, right? I think prepared. he kind of let it pass. People yeah. start chanting. Is he going to have to address this more head on with this and world is. of people he voters? Is.
1: Uh, he is. Once again, are you looking for a headline from this president or are you looking for him to make headway? You don't negotiate these issues in the public arena.
0: Are uh-huh. you ending up... A mediator with the community of people who have these concerns. Like, are people sure. starting to come to you? Oh yeah. And how do you talk to them about it?
1: The same way I'm talking to you, and I said to them, I ask them to tell me exactly what your problem is with Joe Biden. And to a person, it's style, nothing to do with substance. Oh, we like uh, this and we like that, but. He doesn't seem to be fighting for us because he's not yelling. We have gotten to the point that so you want to see the guy who yells the loudest. In fact, I was talking to a colleague on yesterday and he was talking about uh, this committee meeting over there uh, to uh, impeach uh, the Secretary- uh, Mayorkas of- Americas, the, yeah.
0: yeah. DHS. Uh, Homeland
1: Security, yeah. And he, he was saying, this is Joe Neguse. He said, they just keep talking louder and louder and louder. Is that supposed to convince you because they talk loud? He said, absolutely not. (laughs) It doesn't convince me. I said, wouldn't it be better if they were to just speak to you uh, in conversational terms and tones? Well, that's what I try to tell young people. Because you yell at me and do a darn thing to resolve this difference we may have. Let's have a conversation.
0: So let's now think about another way, just keeping and talking about power. There's that phrase about, uh, what is it, speak softly and carry a big stick? Yeah, yeah. Theodore
1: uh, Roosevelt.
0: That seems like you, right? Like yeah. you you help with South Carolina. Um, there are so many lawmakers who have worked with you, for you. Benny Thompson, who headed the January 6th committee, sure. someone you put forward for that. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure we can say that there would not be a Supreme Court nominee who is a black woman. If you didn't speak up about that and arguably mm-hmm. vice president. So people look at that and maybe they see that as fighting and results. Well, and should. maybe they look at him and don't see that.
1: That's exactly right. And, and they should. Uh, you but know, he's had it,
0: enough alarms. Like I feel like you were there, what, in December? So you had right. a meeting with him, but also there was a meeting of several black men who went there to say, look, hmm. our guys are not happy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one thing to say, listen to black women, and this is our support for black women, but we are concerned. Sure. And now those concerns are being borne out, right? Mm -hmm. His numbers are soft in that corner of the black community, black men. Sure. Is the message landing there?
1: Well, we won't know until this preliminary process is over. Meaning South Carolina
0: or just the primaries in general?
1: Primaries in general.
0: Okay. Do you get the sense the White House understands that— there are a number of people in key constituencies who are disillusioned and that the difference is not between him and the alternative, as he likes to say, might be between him and staying home.
1: Well, uh, that's true. And that's where we've got to energize uh, voters. You know, why I'm saying this is the last time, at this point, there were 23 candidates to include Joe Biden, right. Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Tom Steyer, who spent more money in South Carolina than anybody else. And so you've got all of this excitement going on, and people, they, that Joe size now, he won by 29 points in South Carolina, but he got less than 50% of the vote. I think he got around 49% of the vote. So that tells you how spread out all of uh, this energy was. We're in that same place now, and it will not be until the preliminaries are over before there's any coalescing taking place in the black community. It may go all the way down to the convention because there are still people who really feel, not just on our side, Nikki Haley is, is gambling that she may be uh, able to... Uh, uh, do something by the time they get to their national convention. So all of these people are hitting their bets. And so I just don't think.
0: Can, can I interrupt? Because last time around, you're right, there was a big field. Mm-hmm. And by the time it got to South Carolina, it was not looking good for him. Right. And you came in, and part of your argument was a little bit of like, he's with us, right? Yeah. And those images in the ads of him next to Obama, etc. This time around, it's just about him. Right. It really is. Sure. And are we getting a sense that perhaps people are not satisfied with that?
1: Well, because they, people have not focused on Joe Biden and substance. They are on Joe Biden and style. There's no way in the world that we end up in a contest between Joe Biden and fortified. There's no way in the world.
0: This is the argument of kind of they'll come home.
1: No, this is an argument about them comparing. You got to compare. This is its going to be a choice election.
0: It will, but if there's a third party candidate, that could it's pull away be from Democrats. Election. Like there's lots of ways that I feel like uh, what people consider a democratic coalition can be undermined, especially if it was built in part by bringing in irregular voters, bringing in people who aren't always part of the system, right? Yeah. Bringing, those are people who, if they stay home, it really can make a difference in, in key districts and key states. Yeah, it can,
1: and that's what you got to tell people, and people got to understand that the reason we got George W. Bush and not Al Gore because of a third party candidate, and you got to get real, and you can go right down through history, it has never been anything but a spoiler. And I think that what you have to do is get people to understand uh, exactly what the stakes are here. You got to win the Electoral College, not who gets popular votes. So you're going to have one or two people who are going to be president. The Democrat or the Republican will be president. What you've got to decide is which one of these is better for you and your future.
0: I'm talking with Congressman Jim Clyburn. We'll have more after the break. Anderson Cooper is back with season two of his podcast, All There Is.
1: You're going to hear from Randy Shaleen. He's a radiologist who spent much of his career as a flight surgeon in the Navy. Randy's son,
0: Charlie, died in August 2022. He was 18 years old. All There Is with Anderson Cooper is about how we can live on with loss and with love. Charlie
1: Shaleen made this recording on August 26, 2018, when he was 14 years old.
0: I just need to have control of my life and what I'm doing. I don't want to go down the rabbit hole. What do you think when you hear that now? Now I know and understand the pain he's going through back then. Because at the time, frankly, I had no idea. We didn't realize how serious things were getting at that point. Listen to All There Is with Anderson Cooper, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. My guest is Jim Clyburn, who has represented South Carolina in Congress since 1993. You're turning 84 this July. Is that true? Um, 21st. and I hear that you think about retiring at times, but that your daughters won't let you. <laughs> no, she,
1: no, my daughters. No, people misinterpret that. Oh, I said my daughters keep their eyes and ears open for for my constituents. I have one daughter who is on the school board, and she is the real politician in the family. Mignon, I heard from Jennifer already this morning. They talk to many more people than I do, and I've said to them. I said, you know, I know how I feel. You'll let me know how my constituents feel. And really, during the Christmas holidays, but my two brothers and our children, we all spend Christmas together on Hilton Head every year. And it's when we decide how we can conduct ourselves going forward and reflect on how we have conducted ourselves up to this point. And it was at that time, uh, they said to me, we'll let you know.
0: We'll let you know if people think you are too elderly to be in the job anymore? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So then how do you hear the criticism of the president? I mean, that's the, well, exact, the exact conversation that you have an inner circle to have with you. Mm-hmm. People are saying he could have, should have done himself.
1: What people are, I'm a person. I'm not telling them that. Okay. <laughs> it you who you want to listen to. What fears? Well, there's some people who say that I'm uh, uh, too old. I see the, the tweets and whatever they... They are. They share with me. Three or four percent of the people out here are going to say that. And this is, she even got the names because uh, she keeps up a all that stuff. This is who, whatever his handle is, is what he's saying. But nobody's paying attention to him. Uh, as she said, you got 92 percent the last time.
0: So Jim Clyburn has seen the tweets. He's seen your Instagram posts. And mm-hmm. he knows what you think. What do you hear in the fears about Biden's age? Like what are people projecting when they talk about it?
1: Well, I hear a lot about it, but as I said at the breakfast this morning, I would much rather have an old Thurgood Marshall than a young Clarence Thomas. So just decide. So if youth, or the lack thereof, is the only thing you're concerned about, then you don't mind Clarence Thomas voting to take your reproductive rights away. If that's all you want, someone who is younger, Joe Biden would never Do that. That is what I'm talking about.
0: And that's a more persuasive argument than we've been hearing.
1: Well, it seems to be. But you got to hear it. You talk. But you've even
0: said, like, look, you step more gingerly in your 80s than you do in your 20s, right? Like you absolutely.
1: I don't hit the golf ball as far as I did in the 20s. I used to play 36 holes a day. You know, I, I do 18 holes now, and by the time I leave the watering hole, I go home. There was a time I would go back out for second 18. No, uh, that's that's real.
0: There's also a fear, which we're hearing from Nikki Haley, etc., mm-hmm. which is a fear about whether Kamala Harris is equipped or ready or prepared to be president, if there is any reason why she would have to be. That talk is more public in a way. What do you think is behind that and why do we not hear more Democrats kind of coming to Everybody her defense? Everybody knows that race is
1: behind that. Everybody knows that. My goodness. What was behind all the opposition to Obama? Everybody knows that. It, it, it's racially motivated. This guy that we're talking about, he, his opponent, he started the Bertha movement. What was behind that? You don't think that was race? When he took out that full-page ad for Central Park Five, Those young men who were determined to be innocent calling for the death penalty for them? You don't think that was racially motivated when he refused to rent units in his building to black people? What was that? So that's the kind of history we're going to hear a lot about going forward. And I suspect that all she's doing with that and uh, she's already... Haley. yeah. Yeah. And Trump is doing the same thing to her. He didn't call her Nikki anymore. He called her Nikki the whole time uh, she was being to. The moment she's decided to be her own person, he now goes back to her Indian name and saying she's not one of us. What does that mean? So she is getting a, a dose of her own medicine. She, she'd better be very, very careful.
0: It occurs to me that your trajectory from a young person to where you are now is also in parallel to the trajectory of black electoral power. Sure. That... Black voters, given their turnout, et cetera, have reached a certain amount of power in the party. So where does it go from here? Like, what more would you like to see? Well, When will you feel like your work is done? Well, it will never get
1: done. Look, what I try to tell people, that I'm not the first African-American to to serve in Congress from South Carolina. I'm the ninth. But there are 95 years between number eight and number nine. Why? And don't you forget why. Because of the tilden Hayes Compromise of 1876. Because of the Redeemers who took over the state government. Because of Pleasant v. Ferguson. Because of Justice Taney, who said Dred Scott, as a black person, had no rights that a white person had to respect. That's the Supreme Court of the United States.
0: In a way, I hear you saying it's because of white compromise politics.
1: No. All of those Everybody were- reconciling differences. All of those. I mean, the 9-0 decision, of the 1954 Brown v. Board of Education decision was 9-0. And it called for Earl Warren doing the compromise. And the biggest compromise in all of that, and, and I'm glad we got to this other because this makes my point than anything I've said here today. If you read all of those court decisions coming out of the Fifth Circuit that implemented integration in the South, in order to get the votes, Minor Wisdom, who was the chief judge back then, had to change one word. He had to change integration to desegregation. The only way he got them to agree was not to use the word integration, to use the word desegregation, and that's when they came along. Don't use human rights, reuse human affairs. We got the same law, it's all there. So don't use reparations, use 10, 20, 30, use affirmative action. So what do you want? The result or do you want the soundbite?
0: How are you going to spend the next couple of weeks in this mission to get the president reelected?
1: Well, we had a long talk about that this past Sunday, and I'm going to come to a conclusion about that after Saturday night.
0: Really? Mm-hmm. Do you mind me asking what is what are the choices?
1: Saturday night, the first in the nation, nation. primary. I'm going to take a look at that. And I'll go precinct by precinct, in some instances, county by county. In other instances, I'll look at the vote, and I'll make my decision then as to what I'm going to do and how I'm going to do it.
0: What are you looking for? I'm looking
1: for voter trends. I'm looking for results. I'm looking for what may or may not resonate with voters. I'm looking for whether or not I should spend time in and out of Pennsylvania, uh, Michigan, uh, North Carolina, uh, Georgia, states where I think I might be able to make a difference. I have in the past. I listen to what people say. I don't always follow what people say. If I follow what people say, I never them does, Joe Biden. People kept telling me that's a big mistake. Well, in this business, you got your gut. You let your head go to work. But before you conclude, let your heart take a look. I've had significant success with candidates because I let my heart take a look. And if it's still a go after my heart is taking a look, I go.
0: Well, I look forward to seeing what comes of your decision in the next couple of days. Yeah,
1: my head and heart will go to to work.
0: Well, Congressman Clyburn, thank you for your time. This really lovely conversation. James Clyburn is the House Assistant Democratic Leader, and he represents the 6th Congressional District of South Carolina in Congress. That's all for today. We're gonna to have a new episode for you on Thursday. The Assignment is a production of CNN Audio. This episode was produced by Dan Bloom. Our senior producer is Matt Martinez. Dan DeZula is our technical director. And Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of CNN Audio. We got support from Haley Thomas, Alex Manassari, Robert Mathers, John Dianora, Lenny Steinhardt, Jameis Andrus, Nicole Pesaru, and Lisa Namarow. Thanks, as always, to Katie Hinman. I'm Audie Cornish. Thank you for listening.